the lectionary is that we get to scriptures that maybe we wouldn't otherwise uh, jump right to, um, and um, that's a wonderful thing. It's a challenging thing because sometimes there's scriptures that maybe I wouldn't often preach about. Uh, some of those have been very comforting over this, uh, the start of this year, and others maybe like this morning, are challenging words for us to hear and for us to reflect on. I've spent the last couple of weeks in uh, the youth Sunday school class talking about some of uh, our heritage, our traditions, our beliefs, our practices that help form Spring Creek Church of the Brethren and and have helped make us who we are. And one of the things we talked about was uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5 through seven, and how this is kind of the heart of a lot of our beliefs and our practices and, and what we have done as a people. One of those things that we emphasized with our young people, with our youth, is um, community discernment. One of the things that we have valued is coming together, sitting down with one another, um, not necessarily in this kind of you all facing me and me facing you and lecture, but actually turning and facing one another to talk about how we live these scriptures out. And I think this is one of those texts that begs to be um, wrestled with, chewed on together as we face one another. Um, And so I think that this might be the beginning or or, uh, somewhere in the conversation together as we're learning and growing what it means to follow Jesus and to live like Jesus wanted us to live. This is one of those texts, um, you know, it's often fun to preach words of comfort. Um, This is one of those texts, this is more about disturbing the comfortable, I think. And so as we come and look at this text a little bit more, uh, would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that you took time to sit with your disciples and to teach them, to show them what you meant to live as the kingdom of God. And as we read these words this morning, I pray that you would challenge us, that you would be speaking to us in our day, in our time, with how we may continue to live as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. This text uh, that that Chet read for us, and and thank you, Chet, that scripture grew quite uh, extensively in the last few days of this week. I emailed everyone that was involved uh, in in worship leading and and Chet, especially as the scripture reader, and said, hey, I I think I'd like to keep reading an additional, what, 10 verses I think I added on this morning. Um, I thought, well, we've really got to include that part in what we're talking about this morning. As Jesus is calling us to live as kingdom people. I really can't get up to that point where uh, Jesus includes loving your enemies. I can't really get up to that point and not include that in what Jesus is talking about in this passage. 
The Sermon on the Mount is a time where Jesus comes and he sits down to teach his disciples. He's spent time healing and ministering to the multitudes. And it says he goes up to the mountain and he sits down with his disciples and, and they gather around him to hear this teaching. This is about Jesus' kingdom ethics, what life should look like for those who are following Jesus. And from the Beatitudes that start the Sermon on the Mount through the commandments to, to love your enemies and everything that Jesus addresses in the Sermon on the Mount, it would have been a counterintuitive message to the folks gathered around Jesus. There would have been a lot that Jesus was challenging them with that just would be hard to chew, would be hard to swallow, would be hard for them to hear and make sense of. I think it continues to run counter to much of our society today. From the start of this message, though, I, I think we need to hear a few things. Um, as I was looking at these words this week, I needed to find myself in these passages. To hear Christ's words and to wrestle with the brokenness in my own life. Sometimes as human beings, we hear passages like this and we think, boy, I hope that person's listening this morning. Or they really need to listen to this sermon this morning. And as I was reading this over and over, I was hearing Christ Jesus say, Adam, you need to hear these words. You need to preach this sermon to yourself, and if others uh, want to listen in, that's fine. In these passages, I see my own brokenness. I see, too, where we may be broken as people. I think this is meant to help us understand what the people of God should look like. As we're working together more and more to follow Jesus together. These are words spoken to a group of people. Not just individuals, but to a group in this passage, or, or sorry, right before this passage, Jesus says that he's not replacing the law, but he is interpreting the meaning of the law, interpreting what's at the heart of the law. And so Jesus quotes a number of uh, Old Testament commandments, in particular a number of the, the Ten Commandments, and he is explaining what this means. And Jesus uses a very Jewish um, phrase that a lot of rabbis were known to say, you've heard it said, but I tell you. This is the way that they would teach. This is the way they would interpret what the law means. A theme that runs throughout the Sermon on the Mount is that life is not just about following the details of the law. What Jesus talks about are heart issues where we're at in relationship with God, but in relationship with one another. It's not just about the, the details of meeting the requirements of the law. Jesus takes it beyond the requirements of the law. 
And so the first thing that Jesus addresses, the first thing Jesus wants his kingdom people to be is to be people of reconciliation. The law, one of the the Ten Commandments was do not murder. And Jesus says, okay, not murdering, not killing each other, that's a good start. But killing them in your heart with anger is just like murder. And Jesus actually takes it beyond the do no harm to one another to be reconciled, be active in pursuing reconciliation between yourself and others when there is brokenness in relationships. Like I said in the children's story, the words that keep coming up and and ringing in my ear are brother and sister. As people of God, as pioneer citizens of the kingdom, we are family. Start singing that song in your head. We are family. The kingdom of heaven is characterized by reconciliation. Being reconciled with God. And so people of God are to be characterized by reconciliation as well. Another thing that Jesus says, his, he wants his people, his kingdom people, to be known as is people of purity. Jesus addresses another one of the Ten Commandments. Do not commit adultery. And essentially Jesus says, okay, not sleeping with someone other than your spouse, good start. But what about when you dwell on thoughts of someone other than your spouse? What about what is happening in your heart? That makes a difference too. It's interesting who Jesus puts the responsibility on in this passage. Jesus assumes that a man lusting after a woman is the man's fault for putting himself in that situation and for dwelling on those thoughts. There are a lot of other writers contemporaries or people that had come before Jesus that assumed that lust would be the fault of the woman. She had done something, had worn something or put herself in a position that a man was going to lust after her. And they often blamed the woman. But Jesus seems to put the responsibility squarely on, in this case, the way he's addressing it, the man's shoulders or the one who is dwelling on these lustful thoughts. Because I realize that lust is not just a, a man thing. Being unfaithful in our hearts is not just a man thing. But Jesus is calling us to responsibility for our thoughts and our actions. I think sometimes we continue to hear similar conversations today of Blaming others for what's happening in my heart. Blaming others for the way I feel. Another thing Jesus wants his people to be is people of faithfulness. So Jesus here talks about divorce. 
Now, before we start applying this to 21st century life, we need some first century background. Jesus is weighing in here on a Jewish debate. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, we hear these words, Suppose a man enters into a marriage with a woman, but she does not please him because he finds something objectionable about her. And so he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. She then leaves his house and goes off to become another man's wife. Then suppose the second man dislikes her, writes her a bill of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. Or the second man who married her dies. Her first husband, who sent her away, is not permitted to take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that would be abhorrent to the Lord, and you shall not bring guilt on the land that the Lord your God is giving you as a possession. This was the law from Moses, and I can see it on your face, a lot of you going, what? What does that mean? Well, a lot of Jewish people were asking the same question, what does that mean? And a number of rabbis had weighed in on what was meant by, he finds something objectionable about her. So what are our grounds for divorce according to this law? It was a hotly debated Jewish issue. And two famous rabbis before the time of Jesus had different takes on Moses' words about what it means to find something objectionable about her. Rabbi Hillel was more permissive uh, in allowing men to come up with different reasons. She made food you didn't like, grounds for divorce. Um, She did something that ticked you off one day, grounds for divorce. Rabbi Shammai was more restrictive. He interpreted that similarly to Jesus said that when it says she does not please him, he was interpreting that along the lines of marital unfaithfulness. And so here, Rabbi Yeshua bar Yosef seems to take the side of Rabbi Shammai. See, divorce in the first century Jewish world, it was assumed the right for divorce was only a man's decision. And so there were cases where women were getting cut off, had no access to income. It was was incredibly damaging in the ancient world to divorce and, and send this woman off on her own. Divorced women became extremely vulnerable. So what's at the heart of what Jesus is saying here? What's the underlying ethic of Jesus' words? As in many of Jesus' teachings, he is protecting vulnerable people. And in his world, that was the wives who had no legal standing, often had no economic standing outside of the marriage. But I also believe Jesus is underlining that God's people are called to be people of commitment. We're called to be with one another through thick and thin. 
to take our commitments, our, our vows seriously. Jesus also calls us to be people of truth. Jesus uh, addresses another part of the Ten Commandments. Do not bear false witness. And here he critiques the practice of swearing oaths. People used all kinds of things to swear oaths to convince people that they were speaking truthfully, that they were telling the truth in this instance. I hear people from time to time, you know, out usually in society, you know, swear on their mother's grave. I think, well, what's, what's your mother going to do about you lying here? What sense does that make? What's she going to do about the situation? Or um, I've heard this before, you know, I, I swear to God. Now, I don't know if God still like strikes people down, but if I hear that, I tend to, you know, take a step to the side just in case. Instead, Jesus says, let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. When you say something, you speak the truth. Having to swear an oath maybe means that there's a time where you're not telling the truth, and so now you really need to tell the truth. Mark Twain is credited with the statement, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. I was raised in the, the Church of the Brethren, and so this was uh, always a, a lesson that I learned in youth group, and I remember a Sunday school teacher sitting down and, and reading through this passage, and, and one of the other things that he had to throw in was, what do you do when you are called to court? Because at some point, even though brethren have issues with you know, lawyers and, and, and you know, lawsuits and all of that stuff, um, it was assumed that we were all going to be called to court someday. And they said, I remember a teacher telling me, when they tell you to put your hand on the Bible and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, those of you that have been raised in the church of the brethren, what were you supposed to say? I affirm. It was a way of not swearing a religious oath, but saying, I affirm, I tell you, that when I speak the truth, I always speak the truth. When I say yes, I mean yes. When I say no, I mean no. And this instance is no different than any other instance. Called to be people of truth. The last part of this that we included this morning is about being people of peace. You know, each of these topics begs for more conversation, discussion, uh, wrestling with what exactly does this mean in our life today. I'm just barely scratching the surface of how we live these out today. And that's certainly true for talking about what it means to be people of peace. Each of these topics runs counter to our inclination, it also runs counter to what's happening in our society. Recently, I heard a pastor preach a sermon based on Jesus' words here about love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. 
Someone stood up later and said, I'm not sure I agree. I would add that I see and experience a lot of disagreement with Jesus' commands to love our enemies in words and actions. For some, peace is just uh, interpersonal relationships, working at peace between one another. And it is certainly not less than that. And right now in our society, right now in the political discourse, right now in our relationship with one another, even in the church, working at those interpersonal relationships is a great, wonderful, and needed place to start as we work at our conversation with one another, as we work at disagreeing well with those that have honestly held positions that differ from ours, we need to be willing to talk with one another, to love those that disagree with us. We live in a space, in a time where there is brokenness. Some theologians say, talk about the kingdom of God as being already but not yet. We already see glimpses of it. We can experience parts of it. But it is not yet complete. The kingdom of heaven has been inaugurated in Jesus' triumphant death and resurrection. And we are called to live as pioneer citizens of the kingdom now. But we are waiting for the completion of the kingdom. And in the meantime, we experience brokenness. We experience the brokenness in the world around us. We experience the brokenness in our own churches. We experience the brokenness in our own lives. We hear Jesus calling us to these radical ethics. And the last line that we read this morning is, Be perfect as your Father is perfect. I'm not perfect yet. You're not perfect yet. Striving to live more and more in tune with Jesus and who he has called us to be. One day, we will be fully who we were meant to be. People of reconciliation, fully reconciled with God and one another. People of purity seeing one another as sisters and brothers who bear the image of God. People of faithfulness, committed to Jesus as the bride of Christ. People of truth, in full relationship with the way, the truth, and the life that is life. And people of peace, who will have a lot of Weapons to beat into gardening tools someday. 
Jesus, we confess that we hear these words and we know we have come up short. We know in our hearts and in our minds we've committed murder. We've committed adultery. We've turned from truth. We've killed our enemies in our hearts, God. We confess that we have brokenness in our own lives. We ask that you would forgive us, that you would help shape and mold each of us and us as a people, as your people, to look more and more like your son, Jesus, who came and showed us how to live, who taught us what reconciliation, purity, faithfulness, truth, and peace really looks like. Help us to live more and more in tune with who you are and who you're calling us to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.